0: it seems pretty simple to me. I'm not a smart guy, but it seems pretty obvious. So there's your baptism sermon. Why do I say that? Because Easter Sunday, we've got a baptism service where we celebrate our new life in Jesus Christ. So if you would like to get baptized, wow, Mike, that makes a lot of sense. Now's the time. Yes, yes, it is then join us. The last two Sundays in March, we'll go through the class and then we'll have you write out your testimony and we'll get together with you on the first Sunday in, in April and we'll be all set and ready to baptize you on April 16th. Even if you're not sure, come check out the class. It's right. It'll be right upstairs in room 213, I believe, at 9.30 a.m. So join us for that. For others of you, you've heard us talk with confused tones at times about what's next for AIC, because we know there's change supposed to be happening, but we haven't gotten word. Well, I want to give you some updates, and I also want to invite you to be involved, first and foremost through prayer, second through financial support where you can, and third through active commitment. What do I mean by active commitment? Well, I'll tell you. Starting sometime within the next year, we, it looks like we've been given permission, first and foremost, to have a church, an international church, located at Christian Alliance International School, Butterfly Valley, at their new location. We've been talking about this for longer than I've been here, uh, so let's just leave it at that. Uh, the timing, you could ask me for details, and I can't give them to you yet. I apologize. That's what I've been hesitant in saying anything because I like to have my ducks in a row before I announce. But we know that KTAC wants us there. We also know that Alliance Primary School Wampo would like us here. Isn't that great? So we're going to do the worst idea ever and plant two churches at one time. And I'm serious. Normally that's not Church Growth 101, but we're going to do it anyway because God has led us in that direction. So what does that mean, and what am I asking of you right now? If you are not a member, we need you. We need people to make a formal commitment to the life and ministry of Alliance International Church. We, you see, we read in 1 Corinthians 12 that we are all members of one body, Uh, And as such, the membership, yeah, some say it doesn't show up in the Bible in quite the same ways, but the ideas of covenanting with God and man that we're in this together to support, to pray, and to be involved in the growth of his kingdom through his ministry that he has called us to is hugely important well, Mike, how do I become a member so that I can sit on a committee? No, that's not why you become a member. You become a member to actively support the ministry of God through your local church. That's why you become a member. How do you do it? Well, first get baptized. (laughs) I'm back to that already. Second, once you're baptized, we invite you to join us for an information session. We'll hold those also toward the end of March, uh, right after church. They're very short, very common sense approach. And we'll tell you what it means to be a member and then we'll invite you to join. And then hopefully by the time of our annual general meeting, the last Sunday in March, you're ready to be part of the family and dive into a year full of adventure somehow. You with me? Great. Finally, pray. Keep us in prayer. Keep your leadership, your elders and under shepherds, your governing committee, your various leadership teams around the church. Please pray for us as we step out. We've got a new initiative starting on uh, two Wednesdays from now called The World Needs a Father. And I know it sounds like another parenting course. It is not a course at all. It's an invitation into getting involved in people's lives, whether they're older than you, the same age as you, or younger than you, mentoring and caring for them and showing them there's a greater way to live and there's a way to order our lives as such to show the world there's hope. And there's a way to do things well that pleases God and helps fix our broken world. Cassie Carson's the founder, says we want to bring heaven back to earth. We want to show a little bit of heaven to those in our relationships here that we have. So if you are male, yes, it is for men, sorry. We invite you to join us every Wednesday in March and into April uh, for a transformative course. I promise you, even if you're not sure, just show up for the first one and, and give us a chance and see what God might do. Okay, there's the announcements for the day. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good, and your faithful love endures forever. It's days like these when I can honestly say, sometimes I think I have more questions than answers. But we will trust in you, and we will go where you lead us. We know there's broken people, and there's struggles all around, but you are sovereign, and you have a plan. And we are opening our hands and our hearts and even our pocketbooks to say, God, use us with what you've given us to bring glory to your great name. In this we pray. Amen.
1: stumble in their sin. Judah also stumbled with them. When they go with the flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They are unfaithful to the Lord. They give birth to illegitimate children. Now their new moon festival will devour them and their fields. Sound the trumpet in Gibeah, the horn in Ramah, raise the battle cry in Aven, Lead on a Benjamin. Ephraim will be laid waste on the day of reckoning amongst the tribes of Israel. I proclaim what is certain. Judah's leaders are like those who move boundary stones. I will pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. Ephraim is oppressed, trembled in judgment, intent on pursuing idols. I am like a moth to Ephraim like rods to the people of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his souls, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he is not able to cure you, not able to heal your souls. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them off to, uh, tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. And I will go back to my place until they admit their guilt, and they will seek my face. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me.
0: Lord, this morning, would you guide and bless and teach us from what can be a confusing and painful passage and shape us as we seek to follow you and be children of the light as we live in the light. In your name I pray, amen. Discipline. It's a word we all want to talk lots about, right? Yeah, everybody loves discipline. When you were a little kid, if your parents, whatever word they used for it, told you you were going to be punished or disciplined, that did not bring joy to your heart, did it? You no, know, it usually meant some type of pain involved or suffering involved or having something taken away or you, you get the idea. Yet, as I explained last week, and uh, let me just apologize that last week wasn't as clear as I intended that message to be. Uh, I pray often that I can speak with clarity and Last week it wasn't such, so we're going to come back around and touch a few of the points that we made last week and continue on in our study. And one of the things I want you to understand as we press on through the book of Hosea is Hosea was speaking to a number of people in a number of different situations, so what you read in almost these chapter delineations are different messages he's giving out to people. So when you say, Mike, it feels repetitive, well... Israel was kind of a large place. It it represented 10 tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel. So Hosea had some work to do to say punishment and discipline are coming. And so instead of trying to cover five chapters in one day, which if you look in my notes of how these sermons break down, it says chapters five through nine today, I'm not going to do that. What I did is I chose one of these messages, one of these chunks of scripture and we're going to look at that. And you can see repetitive themes throughout chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 of Israel's straying from the Lord, God's discipline toward them, their unrepentance and lack of willingness to come back to Him, and God's continued invitation and love toward them despite their behavior. Okay, that's the big picture. And that's where I want us to keep our minds focused as we look at this idea. God's discipline is a good thing. It never feels that way in the moment or else we wouldn't need to be disciplined. But Mike, what is discipline? And I've thought about that. I've thought, how do I illustrate that? And I had all sorts of ideas for you to try to get your attention this morning other than just using the word discipline. And then I I had a very tangible example come up yesterday. You see, months ago, my wife and I decided that around Valentine's Day, we should do something really fun. We should run a half marathon in the mountains of Hong Kong. That would be a great romantic gesture to do together. It was not. Actually, it was. We had a great time, for the most part, occasionally. It was was hard, and it was 20... four kilometers of what was meant to be a 22 kilometer race what well you see the thing was we started with about 500 other people and about 350 of all of us took a wrong turn one of our friends actually lives right by where we took the wrong turn and we headed left when we should have gone straight And so for the next kilometer and a half, we walked the wrong way at the very beginning of a half marathon. Now, many of you did the standard chart versions of the marathon, the half, and the 10K last week, and that course is so well-marked, you couldn't possibly go the wrong way. Well, you see the thing, when you get into the mountains, the trails begin to get about that wide. And so you've got 300 people the wrong way, and then all of a sudden someone finds them and says, go back. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a picture of discipline. You come to a point where you realize your decisions and your actions have taken you where you did not intend to go, and something has to change. We, as Christ followers, face this all the time. Some fall away because they choose to continue foraging the wrong way. And they live with the consequences of those decisions. Others turn around and go back. That's called repentance. But in so doing, they still have to suffer consequences. We still had to walk three extra kilometers. And my poor wife was not happy with me. How come you didn't? No, she did not say that at all. She probably thought it, and that would have been fair. Mike, you know these trails. You knew this was wrong. I didn't, and I made a mistake, but we get that way. We still had to turn around and go back and get to where we were supposed to be going. There was discipline in that. We had to walk the extra, but you know what? The story doesn't end there. Yeah, we did slog through a hill, pain, complaining, frustration, Anger and all of these emotions. But as we pressed on, things change. And I was reminded as I looked out at the different scenery over the Saikung, different areas and different bays and different beaches that we crossed, of God's relentless love for his people. That in the midst of wrong turns, in the midst of sinful behavior, in the midst of choices that aren't what they were meant to be, God's love and promises continue. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Go get Gomer, Hosea. Bring her back. She doesn't deserve you, but go get her anyway. That's that Hesed love that we talked about last week, that steadfast, that ever-pursuing, always-giving, grateful, gracious, holy love of God that's beyond human definition. And God told Hosea to go live a painful parable of rejection, of redemption, and of punishment, yet ultimately leading the people to an invitation to come home. God continues to pursue us. And so as we look at the text this morning, I want you to take a self-evaluation Because I don't know where you're at in your your life right now. I don't know what's going on. There might be things and choices you've made this week that you regret. And that you come in this morning and you show up only because it's what you're supposed to do and we expect you to be here or whatever. And you don't know how to move past it. There's hope for you. There's healing for you. Maybe you've held off on things like getting baptized or joining the church because the shame of your past is so great that they would never want me. Yes, we do. And even more so, yes, God does. He does so much that he gave Jesus to pay the price for that sin, those choices, those wrong turns of your past. And he says, they will be remembered no more. They'll be thrown to the bottom of the ocean floor. Just come home. His love is
2: relentless.
0: In fact, I've been so struck by this theme of of Hosea that it's going to be the theme of our annual general meeting this this year. The relentless love of God and our relentless care for his world. We will not stop trying to build his kingdom as he empowers us. And we will not stop living in the glory of his great love as we move forward. Man can try to stop us and oh how they tend to. Why does man try to stop us? Because God's people and the world in general tends to rebel. Their deeds don't permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is on their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. That's a heavy verse, Mike, and it, I don't quite connect with that. Well, let me break it down for you. When God set apart the people of all of Israel, both the northern and southern kingdom, he said, you will be my chosen people. And he went on to call them his bride. And he went on consistently to relate to them as a husband. And so when he says that a spirit of prostitution is in their heart, what he's saying is they are cheating on him. He's given them a healthy, holy, perfect, wonderful relationship. And they've traded it in. They've exchanged the truth of God for lies. They've exchanged the truth of God for Baal worship, for worshiping other gods. Now, I don't know anybody in Hong Kong that currently worships Baal. Seems to have gone out of fashion over the past 3,000 years. However, there's lots of counterfeit gods that we can find right here in Hong Kong, aren't there? Maybe we don't want to talk about them, so I'll just use the same ones that we've been talking about since the 60s sex, lies, or sex, love, and power, or sex, money, and power. That's what it goes. I knew I was mixing that up. The same thing, th- th- three things we tend to pursue in different ways and name them different things, but it all comes back to the idea of me, me, me. We've made ourselves the greatest idol of all. And so when you read this, that God's people tend to rebel, their deeds, their very choices have hardened their hearts so much that they can't turn to God. They can't see the light in the midst of the darkness they find themselves. That's what King Saul found himself in. It's what so many throughout the Bible find themselves in. And yet God still says, come home. They don't acknowledge the Lord. If they would but acknowledge the Lord, things would begin to change. Mike, what do you mean by that? Well, if we are our own gods, if we have made our desires, our comfort, our freedom, our success, our power, our grades in school, our friends, in which social circles we're in, and our how many likes we got on Instagram with the latest picture we posted, or you get the idea if those things have taken the affections of our heart, who gets pushed aside well that 's common sense, God does, but if we acknowledge that god, I want you, Lord, over all of my life, I want my vision to come from you. I want my decisions to come from you instead of turning this way and walking the exact wrong way like Mike did. I'm going to walk toward you. I'm going to walk toward your greatness. And I'm going to acknowledge that you know what's best for me. And that begins to change everything. And so I want to pause right there and ask you, just as we sang about with Justin and the team, Is Christ enough for us? Is he really enough that we can trust him with our life? But Mike, if I just compromise this little bit, things will be so much more comfortable. Maybe for a season. But Mike, I'm so lonely, and if I just do this, then I won't be lonely anymore. And I know it's wrong, but... The minute that butt comes in, things go sideways. We begin to exchange the truth of God for a lie. And so, what happens? God doesn't look down at us and be like we often thought about with the Greek gods, uh, whether you called him Thor or Jupiter, or not Thor, that's my dog. Sorry, too many metaphors in my mind. Whether you call him Zeus. That's better. Or Jupiter, he doesn't just sit up there and zap those as they fail. It took me a long time to get around to all the very small point I was making. He does something that's so great, but yet hard for us to acknowledge. He disciplines those he loves. Ephraim will be laid waste on the day of reckoning. Among the tribes of Israel, I proclaim what is certain. I will punish my people to show them the error of their ways, I will let them look in the mirror and see the reality of their decisions. And Hosea 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 all give different pictures of how Israel and even into Judah had made choices, and God was giving them a picture of the brokenness, the depravity, the sinfulness, and the consequences of those decisions. But he doesn't do it because he wants to hurt them. We have to understand this. God disciplines those he loves. Well, how do I know that? Because I'm quoting a verse. Hebrews 12, 6. throughout. People are rejecting God. So we go all the way 700 BC to roughly 60 to 180, And the struggle of God's chosen people is the same. Will we seek him and submit to his authority? All sorts of non-popular words today. But will we trust God with our lives and with our decisions? And in Hebrews 12, we're given this picture that God is bringing people back. And right here we read, The Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son That's out of the ESV. He disciplines is what it says in the NIV. And why do I bring that up? Because if you've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Christ is Lord, you have been saved. That is secure, okay? Satan cannot snatch you out of the hands of the evil one. These are all biblical truths. And as this happens, something miraculous has taken place in your life that you couldn't do. You ready for this? You were adopted into the greatest family ever. The forever family of God. And as adopted children of the Most High God, you are co-heirs. You will inherit the kingdom with God, with His Son, and with the Holy Spirit. And you will enjoy His fellowship for all eternity. But as God is our Father, He loves us enough not to want us to go the wrong way. And He will take drastic and dramatic measures to bring us back. Measures that the world, apart from God, has a hard time understanding. It's why when a non-Christian can read the Old Testament, they say God is nothing but a God of war. Well, He does tend to seem kind of violent at times. I've read the Old Testament. It's, there's some harsh stuff in there. But is it God that was so harsh or the sinful rebellion that God was seeking so hard to take away from people and bring them back to himself? That's the message of God's word. God punishes those he loves to point us back to himself. And yes, sometimes it is incredibly painful. My son was oh, maybe two years old and we were barbecuing. You know, barbecuing? Well, being where I'm from, we like these things. They're called a Weber grill. So they're kind of a round grill. You put charcoal in the bottom. They get nice and hot and uh, everything just tastes better on charcoal. It's great. Well, my son, it only took a second. You know, little kids, they're so fast. And all he did was ran straight for the grill. He put his fingers on it for less than two seconds because that's all it took. The skin stuck because it was so hot. He screamed because it hurt a lot. How many times has he ever touched that grill again? Never. Never. Now, did I tell him, Isaiah, go touch that so you'll learn not to do the wrong thing next time? I certainly did not. In fact, I had just told him 30 seconds before, don't touch the grill, it will hurt you. But sometimes we humans insist on learning lessons the hard way and then we blame God. God, why did you let me do that? He loves us so much, not only does he try to bring us back from our painful decisions, but he gives us free choice. To make those decisions and that is a hard thing I was not thrilled when at kilometer one we were going the wrong way knowing we had now 23 more to go that was not a happy place in my mind but it was the reality I found myself in I was going the wrong direction We find that all the time in culture today because God's people continually to try to reframe his truth. What do I mean by reframe his truth? Have you noticed the world you find yourself in is different than it was 10 years ago or last week? We live in an unparalleled time of human and cultural change. Never before has so much change happened so quickly in so many ways and so many places at the same time. Part of it's the phenomenon of globalization. Part of it is humanity, just there's more of us on the earth. And part of it is we have so exalted ourselves that we get further and further away and we keep trying to correct, cho- correct course, but we keep going our own way thinking that the next round will make it better. And we forget to seek him who leads us the right way. Judah's leaders are like those who move the boundary stones. What in the world does he mean by that? Well, let me show you. You see, what was happening when the leaders were moving the boundary stones was as... Assyria was moving in, and as enemies from outside were coming and conquering different parts of the northern tribes of Israel, then other tribes would kind of come in and move their boundaries into their former friends' tribes, and and specifically Judah would try to move the land saying, hey, hey, we got more as you get conquered. Now, if you read the rest of the story, you find out that Judah eventually got conquered as well, and they became exiles as well, and their disobedience was disciplined so but Mike we don't live in fact borders are breaking down more and more today yes they are but that wasn't the only part of this prophetic word that Hosea was called to give it was also pointing to the moral depravity that had come as the people continued to give their offerings to God and say we believe in God as we also follow Baal as we also go our own way. But, oh yeah, on one day, a month, or a week, or a year, we will show up and say, yay, God. Let's move ahead to today. We're redefining gender. We're redefining sexuality. We're redefining integrity. We're redefining marriage. We're redefining... Pretty much anything that stands as an absolute and saying there are no absolutes, except the absolute truth that there are no absolutes, which therefore is a paradoxical conundrum, and I hate it. I say that strongly. But we live in a world that says, in this postmodern, actually now we're post Christian, that says it's whatever's true for me, that's what I'm going to hold on to, and I'm going to reframe the truth to fit my situation, and God would understand because He wants me to be happy. That's what the people of Israel were doing. And Hosea was called to come in and say, this will not end well. Our society needs to see through love and compassion and care that this road we're on will not end well. That there is right and wrong. There is a better way to live, and it's freeing, not bounding. That's what people don't understand you realize that the further away we get, the harder our disposition is to to be full of joy and contentment because we keep saying what we don't have. We keep needing to go further over the edge because we've already climbed over and then we need more because the thrill of that moment is now gone and so we need to do something even bigger or more dramatic to get that same thrill we had previously. And so we re- need to reframe the truth, the law, And the definition of right and wrong to fit our needs so that we can keep being happy and satisfied. So if your spouse is no longer satisfying you, it's okay if you get on an anonymous website and hang out with other people and talk about things you have no business talking about. Because that's just, you know, meeting your needs. The problem is you're not wired for that. And so whether you want to admit it or not, it affects every relationship in your life you might not even notice it at first but how you look at your very spouse will change because you have exchanged the love of your spouse for the lover affection of another and that's not a healthy thing and it's a dangerous temptation and you can fill in the blank with any number of situations god's people this is inside the church that we're trying to reframe the conversation all the time we're seeing people well This couldn't possibly be what God meant when he said homosexuality was wrong. Yeah, it is. It's not the picture of a marital relationship God had in mind. Can God still love someone practicing homosexuality? Absolutely. And we, the church, are called to love them and point them to his glorious light, not beat them over the head until they change. Remember that well. But the right and wrong does not change. It is still sin for sinful behavior, just as overeating is sinful behavior. No matter how many times I tell myself, I'm not going to go to McDonald's this week, it seems like every week I end up there. <laughs> it's so good. I know it's not, but to me, it tastes so great right up until it hits my stomach. And then I'm like, oh, why did I eat that again? You know, we find ourselves in those situations all the time. I know. And then we go looking for help when we find ourselves in the dungeon, when we find ourselves in that valley, in that line we jumped over, we go looking for help in all the wrong places. So when the northern tribe, the people of Israel, Ephraim here is what's mentioned, saw his sickness. See, they're even understanding they're sick, they're broken, they're leprous is what the picture was that they were given they're, they have leprosy and they're shedding in all sorts of painful ways then ephraim turned to assyria and sent to the great king now some people might say oh the great king so they turned back to god no the great king of that day was a guy named Tiglath Pileser the great kid name don't name your kids that but they turned to them and because Israel- So afraid of being conquered by everybody else, they started paying essentially a a bribe. Please don't come get us. We'll pay you to protect us, which worked for a while. But in the back of their minds, what they were hoping was that once Tiglath-Pileser dies, then they'll stop paying it and his son won't mind. That went horribly wrong. The son did mind and actually exerted a large amount of punishment upon them. But Mike, again, what's this have to do with us? When you are in the midst of a situation you know you have no business going to, being in, you, you come up with what that is. We often go to everyone else we can find except the people or the word that we know will give us the right answer, don't we? Do you remember being a teenager? Anybody remember that? A little bit, might be a little foggy. How often did you actually go to mom and dad and ask for their advice? Really, come on now. Did you ever, unless you absolutely had to, or you really wanted their money? (laughs) Then you go ask for their help, right? Please give me your money and give me your approval, or I want to stay out later. But at that age, we know everything. We're teenagers, we're so smart, and moms and dads don't understand the digital world we live in and this and that, you know, the list goes on, and trust me. I'm thinking of my own household, But as we get through that, all of a sudden something happened at a certain point in life, whether it was at 21 or 25 or 45, when we realized that maybe our parents weren't as dumb as we thought they were. And maybe they actually had a little more wisdom than our friends. That's the lesson Israel was having to learn the hard way. Instead of trusting the one who promised to protect them from all enemies, foreign and domestic, they sought the very enemy of God, the people of Assyria, and said, help, give us your help. We'd rather turn to you because we're so involved in so many other sins that it would be easier to turn to you, the epitome of evil, than it would be to turn to God. Many of our national governments find ourselves in similar positions these days, don't they? As you look around the world of politics, many countries choosing the lesser of two evils, you hear that saying a lot more. No, don't choose the lesser of two evils. Choose the Lord and let him direct our decisions. Don't go looking in all the wrong places. But what if we've gone the wrong way? Well, I've given you a pretty stark picture of there's lots of ways to go the wrong way. But if you found yourself in the wrong way, you don't have to be stuck there. But you can't get out on your own. And so I, I want to I repeat what I've said throughout this series. God repeatedly invites us to earnestly seek him. You see, the th- one of the other themes of Hosea is, if they would but acknowledge me. You know, in other parts of the Old Testament we hear, I would come and I would heal their land and I would restore them. If they would but... Acknowledge me if they would but admit that I am God and that I've got this. But when we move the lines of morality and truth and expect God to bless us, it sometimes ends up in our punishment. So how do we come out? Well, we're called to earnestly seek him. Mike, I don't understand the word earnestly. It's, it's We don't use it too often anymore. And so the best picture I had, uh, I can't say much because... We want to keep the, the the situation private for the protection of those. But there's there's a wonderful uh, person in in the Christian Alliance community that's facing a huge medical challenge. And in so doing, uh, that person's the 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 students that person educates wanted to make a video for them to let them know that they're with them. And one of the videos that was made was a little boy, his head buried in his bed, and all you could hear is, Dear God, please help. And it was the most sincere thing you could possibly imagine. And when you understood the depth of the situation that his mentor was facing, it broke your heart, and it gave you hope all at once. That is earnestly seeking God. Say, God, help. I can't do this. But your power, your grace is sufficient. You can do this. You can lift this situation up, bring it out of the darkness and into your glorious light. So how do we come out of the darkness? Well, let's see what the scriptures have to say. First, we seek his face. God called that same people of Israel so many times. If my people, called by my name, married to me, connected to me, would humble themselves and would repent and seek my face. That's the invitation given in 2 Chronicles 7. We go to him first. Maybe the times of asking everybody else, what do I do, should fall secondary to seeking right here and say, God... I trust you. I'll go with, I'll I'll, I'll seek you first. Then, you've heard this verse many times. We confess, Lord, I put myself in this boat. We put ourselves in this boat, often is the case. But I know that if I confess my sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us. And I need purified. We need purified, which is why I said confess together. James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another. Oh, man, that is not popular. Do we do that often? We get in the habit of, hey, man, I'm really struggling with this. Oh, you horrible Christian. How could you even call yourself a Christian? That's what we expect. And so we we remain silent. Or in a place like Hong Kong, where the very idea of failure is something we don't even want to talk about, let alone acknowledge or bring out into the light so that we can help, it's very painful. But yet the word of God says, the church, the members of this body are here to help you be restored to healthy fellowship with man and with God. We're not here to kick you while you're down. We're here to do everything we can to help you get back to a thriving relationship with God that makes you a disciple of His and allows you to make disciples of all nations. And we're going to help. When you hear church discipline in the church, it's not to hurt. It's to point you back to a vibrant relationship with our Lord and our King. And so, yeah, there needs to be a ruthless trust In God and in His people, that we'll get through this together. How do I start confessing with one another? That's so hard. Well, there's a few ways. Briefly, I hope your community groups love each other enough that you can be honest with each other. I expect that out of our community groups. I also hope that you, affirming that you are not as great as you might want to believe, need people in your life to speak truth. And so you've got people to hold you accountable. We need it. And if you don't know what that looks like, come talk to me. I'll give you some ideas and I'll even point you to some people that I think could help you in that. But we confess together. We say, I am not great. I have failed. And we invite people to walk with us. And that's where the next one comes in. We repent. Again, if my people call by my name will humble themselves and repent, they'll turn away. That MSIG half marathon that I ran with my wife yesterday. We could have kept going the wrong way and blamed everybody else. We were just following everybody else. We did what they did. You think the race organizers are going to care? Nope. Did they take an hour off our time when we finished? Nope. Because there was lots of markers. They just, we didn't understand them. Did they offer any sort of compensation or say, oh, 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 never mind, you didn't make the bad choice, we did. No, we took the step. To take the step back, repentance means you turn around. So if you've gone the wrong direction, if you've gone this way, turn around and go back the right way and get back on track. And bring some people with you to help you on the journey. Say, can you help me? I'm struggling right now and I need some people in my life to speak truth into this situation and I need need help. It's one of the reasons why church membership is so important because if somebody falls down and you're a member, we the elders and the leadership of the church have a way in place where we can lovingly support you and give you the care you need and protect you from sometimes yourself, sometimes from gossip and others around And sometimes that protection can be hard, but it's the most loving loving thing we as the church can do to make sure you're restored to the body of Christ. And we want to help you turn around. And finally, as members of one body, we're supposed to help each other out and function well together. 1 Corinthians 12 talks all about that. Quit saying what everybody else is supposed to do and just like pastor stan was talking about this morning use your gifts to build up the body so that the kingdom is built up if we've gone the way the wrong way we have to understand that we might give up on god or we feel like we should but he's never given up on us therefore there's always the chance to turn back there's always a chance to come home to acknowledge he is lord And come back. God loves us so much that He continues to invite us back. We're living proof of that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But there's more. We, the church, then, we've got to be doing the same for those that have wandered away or have not yet met Jesus. We are committed to absolute truth the absolute truth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He is the only way to God. We are committed to the absolute truth that there is right and wrong and our decisions carry consequence with them. But we are going to help people along their journey back into the light. We are not going to seek to hurt those that are struggling, those that are intolerant, those that are outside the family. We are going to seek to show them a more excellent way because that's what God did for us through the person of Jesus Christ. He said, come back. Your hard times can be over. I want to give you rest. Maybe you need that rest this morning. Maybe it's time to confess, to seek the Lord wholeheartedly, to turn away from your poor decisions, to invite others to help you while you're down, and to say, God, transform me. Invite him to do that right now. Lord, we need your help. We need more of you. And we need to give up on being our own gods. Forgive us for those times when we've done just that. I know there's those in this room that don't see a way back to you or don't see a way to you in the first place. Please give us, your church family, eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts and hands to help. May this room be a room of relentless care for one another and for our broken world because you relentlessly have loved us in spite of our betrayal of you. Please, Lord, make us a church that gives your gracious, relentless, passionate love away. And may we see the world with your eyes rather than our own.
2: Amen.